Amen. What a wonderful day to be saved. Are you saved? Amen. I remember the old testimony services of the church that I grew up in, and they'd stand up on Wednesday nights, and almost everyone would say, I'm thankful that I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. It didn't matter how many times, really, that we heard that. It was exciting every time we heard it because it is the reality for the believer in Christ. Amen. We're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Some of the saints would say filled with the blessed Holy Ghost. And I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. It's good to see you in the Lord's house today. I'm excited to be here this morning. Hopefully you didn't have any issues with your clock going off this morning. I noticed that we may have a few extras online this morning. Uh, what you have to do is turn the clock over on the back side, and there's one of those little dials that you can move up or down. But aren't you glad for live stream that if you forget, you can still catch it on the internet? I'm glad you're here today. What a beautiful crowd, wonderful crowd. And I'm ready for spring and all the good things that spring brings with it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, don't forget to, to uh, look at your bulletin this week. There are several uh, great things in there that you need to be aware of. Uh, we need you to sign up for a few things. Uh, we are going to be joining some of the other district churches in Louisville for the Men's Resurrection Breakfast, which is the Saturday prior to Easter. And uh, Pastor Stephen Webb, who all of you know very well, uh, served as youth pastor here at the church a few years ago, is hosting it at the Dixie Valley Church of God. And for some reason, he invited me to be the speaker that day. And so we're going to go over to Dixie Valley, and we're going to join with other Church of God congregations in the Louisville area, and we're going to eat breakfast, and we're going to have a devotional from the Word of God. And the whole point of this gathering is for you to invite unchurched people to come and be a part and hopefully they will see the wisdom in finding Jesus Christ and inviting him into their lives. So it's an evangelistic effort that we are all kind of working together on and so all of you men I want you to try to set that Saturday morning aside if you can and we'll meet over there and we'll have we'll have a great time. You say what are they serving for breakfast? I don't know but I just about bet that there will be bacon there. And so if you need any other reason to show up, then that, you know, that's the best one right there. We'll have a great time together. And then also don't forget to sign up for the Claudia Sanders uh, Sunday afternoon buffet on the 28th, where we're going to kind of kickstart our fellowship times back and get, get those things going again. This is for anyone in the church. I've heard some ask well, that have small children, can we come too? If you've, got, if you've got the money, buddy, I've got the time. Just show up and come on and we'll eat chicken together and have a great time. You're all invited, but we do need to know that you're going to go, so sign up if you would. And then finally, Mr. Paul is working hard on our uh, New Zealand shirts, and we've got... Uh, We've got the design finalized now, and we're down to just getting them printed. 
we need to get two pieces of information from you. Number one, we need to know what size that you'd like to have and what color you would like to have. And uh, in terms of color, all you need to do is say dark or light. We'll know what you mean by that. And there are sign-up sheets back there on the back table. And you can write your name, give us your size. And whether you want a dark shirt or a light shirt, we'll get started printing those. And we'll distribute those in the next couple of weeks or however long it takes to get those uh, made. So it's a great time here at Spirit Life Church. God is pouring out fresh blessings upon us. And I don't know, after the last year, I'm just so excited to receive anything that God has for me. How about you? I'm so thankful for His hand of blessing upon us. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to take them and, and turn. We're going to kind of camp in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 today. And we're going to be referencing different segments of this passage of Scripture uh, I'm not going to read it all at one time because it's quite lengthy, but we're going to kind of break it up in chunks. And we're going to finalize the series that we've been in over the last six weeks talking about revival and how that revival causes us to be stronger than ever. Amen. I feel like that today. I feel like that I'm stronger and more mature in Christ today than I've ever been before. I've been serving him a long time. I've known him all my life. I was raised in church in a pastor's home. And I, I, I've had different revelations of him and, and had different levels of relationship with him. But I honestly feel like that right now in my life, I am living in some of the greatest blessings that I have ever experienced in my life. I am living and walking in revival. Everything that the enemy has tried to steal from me, I have recovered in Jesus' name. It is mine for the taking because of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to wrap this up. And then next week, I've invited a special friend of mine to come by and to preach for us. His name is Les Higgins. He and his wife Donna will be with us. He has served in a variety of roles through the years just like I have. Uh, you know, I've pastored most of my life, but I, I've had other roles in the church as well, and he has as well. So he brings a wonderful perspective. He's a southern boy, and you'll pick that up just as soon as you hear him start talking. Uh, but you will enjoy the ministry of Les and Donna Higgins. And so I want you to come and be with us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., and then following that, we will begin a new uh, way of thinking in our sermon series as we move toward Easter and beyond. But today, I want to finalize this uh, series that we've been talking about, Revival. And let's begin with this idea that revival is ultimately a story of recovery. You cannot be revived unless you lived and then died. You cannot recover and be revived unless you possessed something and had it taken from you. And since we have all been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we have new life because of Him, there are times that we feel like that that energy, that spiritual energy is, is seeping away from us and we need a revival. 
I'm not talking about bringing someone in to, uh, to, as a flash in the pan, so to speak, and get us pumped up. I'm talking about change in our lives that brings about positive growth and maturity in our lives. It is about preparing a place in our heart that allows God to restore what the enemy has stolen from us. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about a lot of different things. We talked about those little foxes that sometimes creep into our lives that we must rid ourselves of. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about a lot of different things. And today, we're going to talk about the recovery of and the revival of the Word of God in our lives. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. I would submit to you today that you cannot be revived, and you cannot recover what the enemy has stolen from you unless you are equipped to apply the word of God in your life. Your victory will come through the word of God. Now, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles has been called the book of revivals because Ezra records five revivals that transformed Judah during this particular time in history. The first revival was a recovery of purity. It came through King Asa when God let Asa know that the eyes of the Lord roam the face of the earth looking for people who are committed to him and he will strongly support them in their effort to live victoriously. It is a recovery of purity. And then the second revival took place under Jehoshaphat. He humbly admitted, we do not know what to do, but Lord, we look unto you. It is a recovery of prayer. It is manifested in his leadership as being in a place where I simply don't have the answer. I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to do it. I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the understanding, and I don't have the wisdom. I can't get it out of books, and I can't get it from my neighbor. Not even my pastor can give it to me. Lord, I need you. And so I am crying out to you and calling upon the name of the Lord and knowing that when I call out to you, you will hear my prayer. A recovery of prayer. The third revival took place under King Joash, who, who, who reinstituted the things that the Word of God required. He started the tithe back up. People had stopped tithing. They had done it at one time, but they just quit. It was one of those things where they just stopped. There was no rhyme nor reason to it, but when we don't do what the Bible asks us to, to do, then it, it puts us in a position where we cannot ex experience his blessings. And so King uh, Joash reinstituted the tithe among the people, and the finances began to blossom in Israel to the point that they were, they were more blessed 
than they had ever been before because people recovered the precepts of the Word of God. And then the fourth one was a recovery of praise that took place under Hezekiah. King Hezekiah said, God requires us to hold a feast called the Passover, and it is meant for us to celebrate all that has been done by God on our behalf. And so when we come together to celebrate the Passover, it reinvigorates our soul and reinvigorates our spirit. That's happening around here. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. On Sunday mornings, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Here a few weeks ago, we were worshiping the Lord, and people just got beside themselves and couldn't stay in their seats and had to roam around the sanctuary, running in the spirit a bit. People are beginning to move down front a little closer to worship so that they can offer worship and praise unto the Lord. Let me tell you that when we put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, then something significant will take place in our lives. Folks, it's time for us to praise the Lord again. Amen. I know life has been tough, but I'm telling you the sun is rising in our lives. Aren't you glad for that? And then the fifth revival was a recovery of the gathering of the people of God. The people stopped trying to serve the Lord at home and by themselves. And they woke to the realization that we need one another. The church needs you. And you need the church. And when the people of God begin to gather together in the house of the Lord, then the scripture says, uh, if two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them also. It's okay to worship at home. And for those of you who are having to log in with us on live stream, I don't have any condemnation on you today. I'm glad you're gathering with us. But listen, there comes a time when we have to say, it's important for me to get to the house of the Lord and to get my children in the house of the Lord because when we gather, something powerful happens in the presence of the body of Christ. Five revivals. One was purity. One was a revival of prayer. One was a revival of the precepts of God's Word. One was a revival of praise. And one was a revival of people gathering together. Does that sound familiar to you? If you've known me for the last 10 years, you'll know that several months before the Lord saw to it that I would be appointed to come and pastor this church, he said to me in my office during prayer, he said, the church that you pastor will be a pastor of purity, or will be a church of purity, will be a church of prayer, will be a church of the precepts of God's word being lived out, will be a church of praise, and will be a a people, people church that reaches out to those who are in need. And I'm telling you, it is happening before our very eyes. And it's not the first time that God has established a people like that because we see it all through the book of Second Chronicles. I'm happy to be a part of a church like that, aren't you? 
Now, when we come to this place in our study, we have to take into consideration where Judah was in this moment, the context. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 2 through 9, it says, and this is a summary of the reign of a king named Manasseh. It says, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down, and he reestablished the altars of the Baals. And he made Asherah poles, and he bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky, and he served them. And he built altars in the Lord's temple, where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where my name will remain forever. And he built altars to all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. And he passed his sons through the fire in Ben-Hinnom Valley. He practiced witchcraft, divination, sorcery, and he consulted mediums and spiritists. And he did a huge amount. Hold on just a second. He, he did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol which he had made in God's temple that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name forever in his temple and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. And I will never again remove the feet of the Israelites from the land where I stationed your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do all I have commanded them through Moses. All the laws, statutes, and judgments. So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations of the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. So here we find Judah having been under the leadership of this man Manasseh. And everywhere they looked, even in the temples, there were idols that had been established by Manasseh for people to worship in the temple of God. They had even, the scripture tells us, taken up on themselves the practice of passing their children through the fire. They were sacrificing their own children to the false gods that they were being required to worship. It sounds like a terrible time, doesn't it? And it makes you wonder, what do you do in a time like that? How, how can you operate and move through times like that? I'll tell you what God does in times like that. He sends revival. He will raise up someone who is able to speak with power and authority and change the atmosphere of the circumstance and the situation that they are in. So in this instance, God did this through a young man by the name of Josiah. Josiah's father was Ammon. 
Manasseh reigned for 55 years and took Israel into the gutter. And when he died, the king Ammon took over and he reigned for two years and was so evil and wicked that the people assassinated him. They had had all they could take and they took his life. And then all of a sudden, this young eight-year-old boy, who was the son of the man who had just been assassinated by the hands of the people, found himself as king of Israel, eight years old. So what did Josiah begin to do? Well, we're going to talk about what he begins to do when he turns about 20 years of age. He begins to move in the direction that God would have him to move. So go to chapter 34, and let's look at seven action steps that he took. The first thing that he did is he cleansed the land of false worship. Look at verses 3 through 7. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. And then in his presence, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images, and he crushed them to dust. And scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. So he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and on their surrounding mountain shrines. He tore down the altars, and he smashed the Asherah poles and the carved images in the powder. He chopped down all the shrines throughout the land of Israel and returned to Jerusalem. It sounds like to me that Josiah is a kid that you don't want to make mad. And he was angry at what his world had become. And he knew that if Israel continued on the path that they were on, that they would never experience the blessings of God. And so what I'm saying to you is, the first thing that he understood had to happen is they needed to purify the land. They needed to remove the false idols that had taken over their land. Now, I want to ask you, as I did last week, what is in your life that could serve as an idol and prevent God from doing all that God wants to do in you, but he can't get past the idols that are in our lives? Oh, if I wanted to, I could start naming things here, there, and the other. But I want you to do a quick search of your own life and ask yourself, is there anything in my life that prevents me from experiencing the fullness of God in my life? Because if there is, it's an idol and it needs to be removed in your life. 
It's not my job as pastor to come to your house and walk through your house and see what might be there that might prevent you from experiencing the goodness of God. But it is my job to warn you and let you know that if you put anything before God, it will prevent you from having the finest blessings that he has in store for you. It could be books. It could be magazines. It could be cookies on our computer that easily allows us to access websites that our eyes do not need to see. It could be a device that our child is on daily that allows them to see things that they have no business seeing. It could be books. It could be literature. It could be so many things. But what I'm saying to you is, is that if Josiah saw the need to purify Israel, then we should see the need to purify our hearts before God. The second thing that he did is he cleansed the temple. Look at verses 8 through 13. In the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, along with Messiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian Joah, son of Joahaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So they went to the high priest Hilkiah and gave him the silver brought into God's temple. The Levites and the doorkeepers had collected it from Manasseh and Ephraim and from the entire remnant of Israel and from all of Judah, Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave it to those doing the work, those who oversaw the Lord's temple. They gave it to the workmen who were working in the Lord's temple to repair and restore the temple. And they gave it to the carpenters and the builders and also used it to buy quarried stone and timbers for joining and making beams for the buildings that Judah's kings had destroyed. The men were doing the work with integrity, it says. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites, and Zechariah and Meshulam from the Kohothites as supervisors. The Levites were all skilled with musical instruments. They were also over the porters and were supervising all those doing the work task by task. Some of the Levites were secretaries and officers and gatekeepers. So here's what's happening. Josiah realizes that the actual temple of the Lord had been affected and impacted negatively because the people of God were not taking care of the house of God. Now listen, there's something to be said for a house that brings glory to God. When we allow our properties to be affected by the things of the earth, then it is not a place that, that is holy unto the Lord. This is God's house. It is to be better than our house. It is to be better than our homes because this is where people gather for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. And so we've got to keep the temple holy. And that's what Josiah was doing. I like that they went and took all the false gods and melted them down. 
and they brought it to the house of the Lord and they used what at one time had been dedicated to the enemy and the false gods and they used it to build up and cleanse the house of the Lord. And then the next thing that happened is very important. In verses 14 through 18, it says that they found the book of the law. It says, when they brought out the silver that they had deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. Consequently, consequently, Hilkiah told the court secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple, and he gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the book to the king and also reported that your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. They've emptied out the silver that was found in the Lord's temple. They've given it to the overseers and to those doing the work. And then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, the priest Hilkiah gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Now, can you imagine a temple of God that was void of the word of God? That's exactly what had happened. At some point in all of this worship to idols, they had taken the very word of God and hidden it in some corner of the building so that it was never referred to in any way. And in the cleansing of this house, Hilkiah found the scrolls that had been written by Moses. And he brought the book to Josiah through the hand of Shaphan. And Shaphan began to read this book that many of them didn't even know existed because it had been shoved in the background to such a degree that they didn't even know it was there. So what happened? Well, look at verses 19 through 21. It says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And he commanded Hilkiah and Ahakam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, the court secretary, and Shaphan, and the king's servant, he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For look, great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our ancestors have not kept the word of the Lord. So they realized that all this bad stuff that's happening to us it's because we've abandoned the very Word of God. We might not have even known it existed, but if we're going to get back where we need to be with God, and we're going to recover everything that the enemy has stolen from us, it's going to come when we restore the Word of God to the house of God. Listen, it's time for churches all across this world, and especially in America, to start preaching the Word of God again. It's on the preachers and the pastors. If we just tiptoe through the tulips 
and the easy passages of Scripture that only talk about the fun things and the good things, and we don't talk about sin and cleansing ourselves from the things of this world, then we are never going to experience the fullness of God. Preachers, and if you're listening to me today or later this afternoon or on Monday or Tuesday, I'm challenging you just like I'm challenging myself. Let's bury our faces in the Word of God so that we can be prepared to preach what thus saith the Lord. Amen. He repented. The Bible says he tore his clothes. And he repented before the Lord. And he realized that the reason that all of this is happening is because we've abandoned the Word of God. And after he read it, and after it had its impact, notice what happens in verses 29 and 30. It says, So the king sent messengers and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the Levites, all the people from the oldest to the youngest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Here's what happened. He called his people together. He called the elders he called the men of the household, if you will, the men of the church. And he said, I want you to bring your families and meet me at the house of God because we're going to do something that we've never done before in our lifetimes. We are going to take however long it takes to read the book of the Word of God. And we're going to hear every word of it. Can you imagine if I announced to you this week and said, I want every man that belongs to the Spirit Life Church to make sure your family is here next week because I'm going to read the whole thing before we leave. We're going to get the whole thing in our spirit. We're going to abide in, in the whole word of God so that we can be truly blessed. Can you imagine? We'd probably have 12 people here. And nine of them would be my family because I'd make them come. Listen, there's power in the word of God. Some of you can't get victory because you don't know what the Word of God has to say about your situation. And you may need to set aside some significant time to get your face in the Word of God and say, Lord God, speak to me by and through your Word so that I'll know what to do, so that I'll know how to live. When your kids are giving you all kinds of fits and you don't know what to do and you want to talk to Ann Landers about them and what Ann Landers might have to say or somebody else, I want you to remember what Psalm chapter 1 says. Uh, we are not to abide by the counsel of the world, uh, but our delight is to be in the law of the Lord. Amen. Train them up according to Scripture. Not what Dr. Phil has to say. The next thing I want you to see is, is that in verses 31 
through 33, he commands a covenant. It says, Then the king stood at his post and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, in order to carry out the words of the covenant written in this book. And he had all these present in Jerusalem and Benjamin agree to it so that all the inhabitants of Jerusalem carried out the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed everything that was detestable from the lands belonging to the Israelites, and he required, say required, all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his reign, they did not turn aside from following the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So what did Josiah do? He said to his people, I require you to not only read but to do what this book says. And if you're not going to do it, then you're not going to be part of our family. Can you imagine again what would happen if I stood up here one Sunday and said, you better do everything this book says or else I'm going to kick you out in the parking lot. Not going to have you around here. I'm going to put out the unbelievers. I love what Jesus did when he went down to pray for the little 12-year-old girl. The Bible says that the first thing he did when he arrived there was put out all the unbelievers. He made them leave the house so that it was full of nothing but faith. And the Bible says he just looked at that little 12-year-old and said, Talitha kumai, which being interpreted means get up and live and walk. And she did. Amen. Could you imagine if we started looking around our church and said, you ain't doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. Get on out of here because we need your seat for somebody who will follow what the Word of God has to say and walk and move in the Spirit of the Lord. We don't operate that way around here anymore. But what I am saying to you is, is that we need to follow what the book says. And if we don't, we're not going to experience his blessings. So what happened? The people lined up and they signed up. I like that. They simply lined up and they signed up. They said, if this is what we need to do to get back the blessings of God, we will do it. And the promise of God to Josiah is that if you will live by my word, I will take care of you. Aren't you glad that if we'll just live by his word, he will take care of you? I told the group Wednesday night about a conversation that my wife had a few days ago, my wife and I. And I woke up early in the morning, and the Spirit of the Lord kind of spoke to me about the things that can get trapped in our minds. And just cause us to feel this heaviness all the time. We wake up and we're worried. And we wake up trying to figure out how it's going to happen. And we've got to learn how to just put it all in the hands of the Lord. And say, Lord, I know what your word says. And I know that if I will abide by your word, that you will pour out your rich blessings upon me. Now I want to point you out to point 
a couple of scriptures back to you. Verses 26, 27, and 28. I want you to notice what it says. The Lord said, Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard His words against this place, and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard, and this is the Lord's declaration, your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. In other words, he is saying to Josiah, you're not going to see all the devastation that others are going to see because you humbled yourself before me. You took my word and you humbled yourself to the word of God and you said, God, if this is what you require of me, I will do it. Lord, if this is what you want, I'll put it all in your hands and know and believe that you will take care of all the rest. 600 years later, Jesus stood on the side of a mountain and he spoke these words found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Let me remind you that not one dot not one cross of the T has been changed in this book. And if Jesus said it then, it is the same for us today. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So now what I've given you has been a quick, brief summary in history. Let me close with three practical things that we need to understand about this time of recovery in the Old Testament. And the first is this. Scripture will change your life. It absolutely will. Listen, if I did not believe that this book had the ability to change your life, I'd say we're shutting this church down and we're going to go play golf. At least then we'd get some exercise. We're going to do something different. I, I don't even like potluck that much. I've eaten things that I had to not only pray over and give thanks for, I had to pray that it wouldn't kill me through the years. There are a lot of things we've done in the church that I don't care if we ever do it again. And I know some of you are thinking, oh God, I love potlucks. That's what buffets are for. We've done things in the church that really don't add a lot to us spiritually. But if we ever get to the place where we take this book and shove it in the back room somewhere where that people don't even know that we are a Bible-thumping group of believers, uh, then we are not worth our weight to the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you that once we start eating this book and getting it in our spirit and letting it not just be there for knowledge, uh, but we have understanding about it and we have the wisdom to apply it in our lives, it will absolutely transform our lives. It will elevate you. It will change you. 
It will make you think like God thinks. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, there are some thoughts and some things and some emotions that we need to move them out of our mind and move them out of our spirit. They're doing more damage than we even realize in this moment. I want you to know that God says our mind belongs to us. It belongs to Him. We get to control what we think about. We get to control what comes out of our mouth. We get to control it. uh, And we have the authority in Jesus' name because He told us to do it. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Christ Jesus. The other thing I want you to realize is that Scripture is more fruitful when it is combined with a covenant with the Lord. Listen, we got to get serious about it. We have to discipline our lives to the Word of God. I'm in, I'm committed. I'll do what I have to do to read the Word of God. You know what it means? It, might, it means you might have to turn your TV off a little bit. It, it means you might have to get up a little earlier. It, it means that you might get some audio CDs and throw it in. Do we even have CDs anymore? Just Bluetooth your phone to the speakers and say, Hey, Siri, read me some Scripture because I need it today. I want to hear what the word of the Lord says because I know my faith will be built when I get the word of God in me. Listen, the fruit requires the root. Without the root, there won't be any fruit in your life. Scripture says that that he is the vine and we are the branches. You want to be successful? You want to see fruit in your lives? You better grab hold of the root and not let it go and say, devil, you cannot take this away from me. You might do some things that I don't like, but I'm telling you if I have the Word of God alive and well within me, I will always know that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who is in me. Fruit requires the root. And then finally, Scripture, when properly applied, can change our nation. We need it. I'm telling you, we need it. Listen to this. In 1700, the people of England were poor people. If you read anything written by Charles Dickens, you know... There were workhouses and debtors' houses that people had to go to when they couldn't pay their debts. The streets of London were dark with pollution and filthy with disease. But in 1738, a man named Jonathan Wesley gave his life to Jesus Christ and started forming Bible studies all over the place. And these Bible studies begin to grow in that country. By 1798, there were 100,000 Bible study groups meeting all over England. And as a result, 
Throughout the 1800s, England was the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. And the only thing that changed is that people started reading the Bible. In 1800, a young man named Hans gave his life to the Lord. And he started creating Bible study groups in Norway. And all they did was simply read and study Scripture. At that time, Norway was ruled by Denmark. But within two decades, the Norwegians overthrew their Danish overlords. And by 1900, Norway was one of the most prosperous nations in the world and remains so even to this day. The only thing they did different was read the Word of God. And do what it says. In 1857, the United States was an economic loser compared to all of the nations in England and Europe. But that year, a revival broke out in the old Dutch church in New York City. And people started reading their Bibles. And in the 1800s, as the frontier families moved west, they brought their Bibles with them. And every evening after supper and after they'd taken care of the livestock, the father of the family would read the Bible out loud by candlelight. By 1920, the United States had become the most prosperous nation on the earth. Here's the sad thing. The United States is no longer united under God. We've removed Scripture from our schools. We carry now a larger indebtedness, trillions, than we ever have before. There are more people on welfare in the United States today than ever before. Say, Pastor, are you trying to say it's because we don't read the Bible? I can't say that. I'm not an analyst. But I can tell you that when we remove God and His Word from our lives, there's absolutely no chance of God's blessings upon our nation. We're killing babies by the millions. We're doing things that are detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women and calling it good, calling those things that are wicked as though they are good. How can we do that? It's because we've been given over to a reprobate mind and our consciences are seared and the only thing that is going to fix it is if we can somehow recover the reading of the Word of God so that we can know the truth of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. You call your senator, you call your representative tomorrow and ask them to return scripture to the schools. And I can just about guarantee you that they will say, that can't be done. You know, we have liberties and freedom. 
We have to make it equal for everyone. So we're not going to get it done in the schools at this time in the way that we think. Just because we may not be able to get our president to stand up and read from the Word of God, they can't stop us from giving the Word of God priority in our homes. And when you start reading the Word and you start reading the Word and you start reading the Word and you read it into the hearing of your children and your families, God's Spirit will move upon them the way that He moved upon Josiah and He will bring revival to our land. The Word of God. The Word of God. Listen, people these days are worried about equality. The Bible has proven to be the greatest equalizer on earth. People who study it will prosper. It's the book that changes lives and the book changes nations. Church, I know that you don't feel like having a Jericho march today. I get it probably not feeling these huge chill bumps going down your back. But what I'm telling you is as true as anything I've ever told you in the last 10 years. If we want to be overcomers, if we want our families to be blessed, it will start and finish right here. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Word. The Bible says it's quick. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. If you read Scripture, the Scripture will read you. Do you need me to say that again? If you read Scripture, Scripture will read you. I want God's Word to read me, to go deep, to pull out anything that is not given to Him. His Word can do that. Amen. Stand with me this morning if you will. Hallelujah. Just stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Stand in His presence right now. Focus your attention upon Him. He may decide to speak to us right now by His Spirit. Lord, we wait upon You. We're not in any big hurry. We want to hear your word. We want to hear from you. Hallelujah. You don't know what's 
the Lord would say today, take your eyes off of last year. Remove the memory of it from your mind. For I am prepared to do a new thing in your midst. And when I release all that I have stored up for you, last year will be a distant thought that you will barely remember. But my move and the power of my hand will be something that will move so strong among you and revive you in such a way that you will never forget it in your entire life. You will look back and you will say, what a wonderful year of blessing 2021 became because of the wind of God's mighty spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Raise your hands and honor him today. Give him praise. Give him praise.